You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes Deadair Nipe here with always Typical Lydia. On today's episode, we're going to be doing the sexy. Well, it's not too Christmas sexy because everything takes place before Christmas. Yeah, right leading up to the week before Christmas. We should have done this actually the week before. Leading up to Christmas? Yeah. Well, but... you know what? Hindsight's 2020. True. We're going to be doing the 1973 classic, The Legend of Hell House. You know, I paused a little bit with that because I want to make sure I'm not saying Hill House. Yeah, because we've got uh, The Haunting of Hill House sitting on a table nearby, and we've covered Hill House-inspired things. Yes. And it is easy to confuse Hill House, Hell House. But man, are we talking about two completely different kinds of haunting movies. Oh, completely. Totally. And at first glance, you know what? If you're an alien and came down and just saw some production stills, you might say that they're really similar films. Not at all. Oh, man. Not similar whatsoever. This is a spicy haunting movie. That's what I like about it. It is spicy, and that is what I like about it. It's, it's darker, and I find it's just as dark as, say, The Exorcist. I agree. I think whereas The Exorcist has extremely dark concepts, they also take the time to show with a lot of special effects. So that's really more in your face than anything else. This movie, on the other hand, is a lot more suggested, but because they don't go with in-your-face uh, exposition of In your face things, pea soup puke? <laughs> yes, <laughs> among many other things. I think that they get away with the things they're saying a lot more. Yeah, it forces you to pay a lot more attention to what you're hearing and what the feelings of the actors would be as opposed to waiting for the next visual spectacle. Mm-hmm. Especially with the possession, because there is, spoiler alert, <laughs> possessions in this film um, yeah. that aren't very visibly noticeable. You have to really pay attention to their voice and the things that they're saying. The script is, is really immaculate that way, which leads into the fact that this was based on a book, uh, Hell House, by Richard Matheson. Mm -hmm. And now he already did, he did a treatment of the script, or did he do the whole script? He from... did write the script. Okay. And it's a real testament to how closely a book and script can be. I really enjoy that about this film, is that the lines are almost line for line from the book. You can read along almost. Oh, really? Yeah, it's really that close. Um, there's nothing really in the film that isn't in the book. There's a few things in the book, of course, that aren't in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, mostly more of the extreme sexy stuff. Yeah, mostly extreme and huge blasphemy and slightly racist comments and things like that are all cleansed. And you could say that would make sense if there were many years between the book coming out and the film coming out, but there weren't. The book came out in 1971, the film was out in 73. There wasn't a huge span of time to write the screenplay, do the film and release it. Like There was no people coming down and sanitizing what was what was being said in the book. That said, books can and still do really fly under the radar as far as our, our morals and our book burnings, you know, that don't really happen. 
specifically anymore like people just ignore novels people don't read as many books and i guess back then the same thing was true is that people didn't know what sort of insanity was going on in this horror novel and thinking the movie is sexy and that the movie is racy and the movie is suggestive and dirty mm-hmm. my god if they'd have read the book it's cranked it would have been banned. Oh, yeah. It would have been banned. <laughs> well, I think that people making the movie would have had an idea about what they probably could and couldn't get away with. Now, they probably could have stood to put more explicit things in there. But in 1973 or 1972, when this movie was be- uh, in production, I mean, those were just fights that you just wouldn't want to have. With censors? No, not at that time. No way. Yeah. You wouldn't have had the film made at all. Yeah. But, of course, it's... You have to say thank you to the people that did read the book and were so moved to make a film about it, a really good film about it. Yeah. Like an extremely good film about it, that they read this sort of deviant, fucked up shit. (laughs) It definitely counts as deviant, fucked up shit, which I love. Yeah. And for Christmas, no less. It takes place on the week before Christmas. Yeah, leading up to it. The premise behind the movie is that a team is sent to go to the legendary belasco house the belasco mansion it is known as the mount everest of haunted houses yeah it's like a mount everest a sexy time more like it yeah the legend of sex house you kept calling it <laughs> the legend of sex house <laughs> which was something i didn't realize going into this typically speaking when you are doing a haunting film well there's some sort of tragic background or they're not always entirely specific about why the house is being haunted, at least in the movies. But in this, it's very much laundry listed for us, the kinds of things that went on in this house. Now, there was a team previous to this that had attempted to crack the code, I suppose, about what was going on in the house to solve the riddle of Hell House. And... Well, the entire team was killed, except for one guy. Yeah, B. Fisher, Ben Fisher. Um, At the time, in the first investigation where everybody died, he was something like 13 or 12 or 15 years old. I think 15 years old. 15, yeah. And he was like the top physical psychic, the top medium Mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. This kid was so in tune and open. And they really go into the different types of mediums that exist. In this movie, which I wasn't even really entirely aware of. I just don't really know a lot about that kind of stuff. Well, I do. I had a feeling. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Matheson did a really good job in the book. And it just, uh, like, I'll talk about the book a lot. I'm going to talk about the book to the point of reading portions of the fucking book. But (laughs) it's only because the book and the screenplay are just so so very close matheson did an amazing job and obviously did a hell of a lot of research and read widely on the topic Mm -hmm. and widely on the topic not just for what was contemporary at the time because ghost hunting at the time isn't like the ghost hunting that we see on television today yeah (laughs) night vision cameras what is that exactly um but it all came from that and a lot of theories have been expanded upon disproved since then But a lot of the theories in this film and the things that they talk about are things that had been manifest at seances and ghost hunting expeditions from, oh my God, like the 1800s. So he's he's definitely done a lot of extensive reading. And all of the machines and the telemetry and all of the things like the poltergeist and a lot of the religious iconography going on in this, it's all things that have happened in other stories and if you're interested in that sort of stuff read a lot of hans holzer because he was a ghost hunter from the 20s 
30s, 40s, 50s, up until he passed away uh, in the common era. But like all of this is definitely stuff that Matheson was very used to writing about and reading, right? Right. So when they laundry listed, it's even more apparent in the book because they laundry list not only the things that had gone in the Belasco mansion, which were like, you know, sex orgies, drug use, lots of excessive drinking. Bestiality. Bestiality. Necrophilia. Cannibalism. Yeah. It was like insane. Yeah. And like right then and there, I remember the first time I saw The Exorcist and just some of the 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 cursing that was coming out of this and 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 of course my young mind at the time was like i didn't even know those things were around back then like these horrible things that uh regan is saying let jesus fuck you yeah 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 mm. but for this movie i even as an adult i'm like bestiality wow. <laughs> like, the, like the modern concept of vampirism <laughs> necrophilia yeah i know now for that laundry list of all the horrible things that have gone on in this mansion mm -hmm. there is a laundry list of all the uh psychic phenomena that has gone on as well and mm -hmm. it takes up like a half a page in the book and it's like even in smaller font so they can cram it all in <laughs> so like any single frigging thing any paranormal experience that you've ever heard of happened in the blasco mansion this movie wastes no time by the way in establishing these phenomena i think we're maybe less than 20 minutes into the movie where we're having significant examples of like possession and things like that and and stuff moving it's not a slow burn where you're like is this house really haunted even though there are uh skeptics mm -hmm. that are going to the house to scientifically disprove things lionel barrett lionel barrett um and his uh, good lady wife come to the house and yeah yeah as well as um florence tenant tanner tanner i'm getting i got the first names right yeah no it's good it's fine tanner's played by uh, uh pamela franklin who also was the little girl in the innocence and we'd mentioned in that show how, and I'd mentioned like how much I loved her in this film and how neat it was to see her age. And it's neat to see her swear. Yeah. I think it's cute. Yeah. Well, she's all grown up in this movie for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's super beautiful. Both the women are beautiful in this. Yeah. Um, which helps. Definitely yeah. helps. And also makes everything more hilarious because, well, hilarious, that's the wrong word, but because it's just so British in like everyone has this sort of uptight repressed yeah stiff upper lip when presented with things like sex and nudity and they are all wearing turtlenecks at all times it seems yeah some of the like the turtlenecks are like creeping up to their ears <laughs> like <laughs> it's true it's true and I, I i pointed that out when we were watching it because if it were to be based in the states it would be strange to us that we'd be like, well, why aren't these people, you know, hugging each other at least or, or making out like the husband and wife? Why don't they sleep together in bed? Why aren't they? They're just so cold and it would seem weird. Mm -hmm. And why aren't the two single people hitting on one another or making eyes or something like people do in films? Mm -hmm. um, but because they're British, it works. Yeah. They're way more uptight in the book and they have reasons to be uptight in the book. Yeah. But I think that because they've made it British in this, it really helps sell the idea that these people are not carnal. They're not going to be hitting on one another. They're not going to be feeding into this sexual, weird, deviant sexual energy that this house is made up of. And they're not going to be influenced by it. 
Well, it's fun because it really emphasizes how societies put a lot of artifice on how we interact with each other and, you know, and so much repression. But what uh, Emmerich Belasco exemplifies is the idea that all this shit was always going on. People were always into the same things. It was always there. It's not like all of a sudden... Uh, like fetishes, kinks, whatever, just started cropping up in the last like 20 years. It's always been there. And this dude is totally all about the carnal shit. So like the forces of the house sort of beating down on these people who look like they've never even read about sex. (laughs) It's true. Is really interesting. The spirits manifesting the house are finding the chinks in the armor for sure. With these people. And they're old pros at it, too. Because like you said, Emmerich Belasco has sort of decided that this is all our true animal nature. Yeah. Right? So just feed people a bunch of fucking drugs. Feed people a bunch of fucking liquor. Feed them aphrodisiac food. Yeah. Block out all the sunlight. <laughs> block them out in the middle of a swamp for months. And they will end up just fucking each other continuously. And eventually it'll turn into cannibalism necrophilia yeah because i guess like once you've had sex constantly you it's like you gotta keep up in the ante i guess i guess so it's really it's a little more apparent in the book um he really becomes almost like a charlie manson type person Mm -hmm. you know sort of gathering up these people feeding them a bunch of drugs feeding them a bunch of mental fuck head fuck shit about sex and then eliciting orgies and then sort of just standing back and watching it all and paying attention to each of their psychologies, right? Mm -hmm. So that he can find these chinks in the armor. So the house being able to do that, the house is sort of just sitting back and waiting for you to tell it where it needs to poke and prod till you fall apart. Mm -hmm. Really a fascinating ghost story at that point because like you'd said, normally walk into a ghost story not really knowing or like a haunted house story, not really knowing why the house is haunted. we got to figure all that out, and that's mm-hmm. your story. This we know walking in. We do, because not only are we dealing with a person who uh, has already been to the house before as a teenager, who has seen the deadly effects of this house. Because this is not a house that's, that's like, we're going to rattle some dishes and maybe show you some visions, and then you all kind of run out screaming. This is a house that will fuck you up. Mm-hmm. And to anyone who's like, why are people afraid of ghosts? All they do is move dishes. I was like, well, they also ignite fires and throw heavy iron chandeliers at you and cripple you and maim you. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody um, from the first expedition basically died or went insane. The and only other living person is insane and yeah. paralyzed. Paralyzed, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's the only one that made it out was um, Ben Fisher. It's not even really exactly made clear why he survived. Could be because he was just so young. He wasn't in tune with any of these libidinous things. So it just didn't really have anywhere to work with him. Fisher has a wonderful arc in this movie that I really dug because it showed that he had closed off his psychic abilities to the house. He was going there because they have a very wealthy benefactor that is attempting to figure this house out. Yeah, he wants to cleanse this house and he's going to pay them each 100,000 pounds yeah. and, to help him. And so that is what got this guy back into the house. He's absolutely terrified of it and absolutely knows that this house is dangerous. 
but he also wants a hundred thousand pounds. Who wouldn't? Yeah. And so he has closed himself off mentally, whereas uh, uh, Florence is completely open to the house and wants to help the spirits that are within it. Um, but he has great scenes where he's telling people that just do nothing. Let us let sit here, relax, relax, and collect our money, and we'll be all be out of here. Yeah. You know, not a hero at all. And like a character should be going on some sort of a journey. And one of the things that is absent in a lot of these haunting movies is the journey typically is people go into the house as non-believers and they leave the house believers or whatever. And I could be being overly glib with some of the plots to other haunting movies. Maybe it's just because I'm really energized by this one and I really like it. But... I think that this was the first time that I thought that this was a really interesting, tangible arc. A guy went into a house already believing, but closed off. Terrified of it. And and closed off and not wanting to have really anything to do with it or helping anybody. And it wasn't until the last moments of the film that he really changed. And then, of course, you have like an uber believer who wants to help. And then an uber skeptic who's very scientific and is not really specific about how he believes that the, what is happening is not genuine ghosts. But I guess his argument is not so much that there aren't energies at, in this house. But I guess what he's trying, his point is that he doesn't believe that there's personalities. Yeah, he doesn't believe that these energies are attached to a specific person and that the person has, doesn't persist after death. That all these horrible things that happen in haunted houses, and this one is a great example, the Mount Everest of haunted houses, is that it's just energy pure and simple and it needs to be dissipated that's all it's not a soul it's not a person it's not a ghost it's just that this energy has been created and is trapped within the walls and a lot of contemporary ghost hunters do think like that um and it may seem counterintuitive for a ghost hunter or psychic to believe that these aren't people you can talk to these aren't ghosts these aren't relatives these aren't personalities that it is just energy but it's just being so, I guess, accepted that people communicate to ghosts on a person-to-person level that they can't shake that stigma. Or the, the idea that it also makes things a little bit more palatable to people who are very strictly non-believers. If you were to try to tell someone that this is a personality, this is a spirit of someone who's been dead for years and they're still manifesting in their house and they can talk and they have their memories and however you want to explain that, it's like that's a t- hard pill to swallow. Easier pill to swallow is the idea that it is a, a a nebulous energy force that is not a specific personality, rather energy. And so I guess that it kind of, like if you were more skeptical, you'd be like, oh, well, okay, maybe that could explain why certain things are happening, but somehow it becomes less believable if you're attaching a personality to that. Yeah, yeah. It's more believable for somebody who's religious. I guess somebody who's not and who's a skeptic. You'd be like, well, remember that time you went into a blind rage? You felt a lot of energy? Well, that energy went in the bricks of your house. <laughs> and it may be mistaken for you after you're dead. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that is a little more palatable. I, I don't know. Um, the religious angle, though, is, is fascinating in this because that is the personalities being present is how it's better explained to somebody who's devout Christian or overly spiritual Mm -hmm. and one of the people they have here uh florence tanner is like a a priest 
or, or a vicar or something. I think she's a vicar. Yeah, so she's super, super religious, and mm-hmm. she's a super psychic psychic. So mm-hmm. she talks to spirit guides with her mediumship during sittings and seances, and she's also just a devout Christian, right? So she's going to be the one who's going to counter Dr. Barrett with, no, this is not just energies and mindless kinetic energies floating around that need to be dissipated. These are personalities and souls that were attached to living beings that are trying to tell us something. Mm-hmm. She believes that what is going on in the house is that uh, Emmerich Belasco's son, Daniel, is imprisoned within the house and he wants help and he wants to leave. And so she becomes obsessed with the idea of helping him. Which seems kind of odd to me because that's like, but that doesn't say that the house is going to be cleared or that's not the only spirit here. And she's the first to say there's many spirits here and they're all being conducted Mm -hmm. by Belasco like a general with his army. She seems to specifically believe that if Daniel's spirit is put to rest, at the very least, a significant amount of otherworldly energy would be removed from the house. So at the very least, if they can't cleanse the house entirely, it would be going a long way to cleansing the house if they could at least remember uh, remove this one spirit, which she believes to be the most powerful and most active. Now, all of this comes to her during one of their sittings. They yeah. have a couple sittings in this movie, like seance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes to her in almost like a dream trance state. So, of course, mm-hmm. Barrett doesn't necessarily believe her. And he makes no bones about not believing her. No. They have many arguments about the existence of Daniel Belasco until she has some sort of proof. But this comes under a controlled sitting where they have all of Barrett's machines and they're, you know, testing all of the temperature, if there's ozone in the air, electromagnetic frequencies. They have gauze and bells set up so that if anything, or she tries to move anything, that it would be recorded and caught. If there's any sort of hoax or fraud activity, it would be noticed. And it's there's a tape recorder running and everything like that. Where she apparently speaks in the voice of Daniel Belasco, explaining that he's trapped. So all of this stuff is explained to us, apparently by the spirit. She's, of course, accused of making all of this up. I don't know how, he's, how he believes that she's making this up. When you're just watching the scene, I was like, how would she be doing all of this? She literally came to the house the same day you guys did, and she's been with you the entire time. How is she moving stuff? How is she, like, speaking in a voice that's clearly not hers? Meh, it's fraud, man. It's all cold reading and fraud. I mean, like that guy on TV where he just, like, looks at your driver's license and his little minions go and Google the hell out of you and then feed it all into his little earpiece. I guess that's what Barrett would have you believe, that she is just hustling them, right? Yeah. But then the believers would say that those must be the spirits that are causing all of this manifestation of poltergeist and haunting activity. There just simply must be, and they must be that powerful that they're going to be able to speak through a very, very in-tune psychic. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to those who believe in the spirits of actual people being trapped within this house. So I think it works really, really well as a ghost story or a haunting story for the skeptics and the not-so-skeptical. It does, because you could see yourself in both arguments. Although, the Doctor is not really discounting it. 
he's because like like it's, he's very passive aggressive, which is very British, right? Where he's not really directly like challenging her, but every time she says something, he kind of repeats it. Like, do you hear how crazy you sound? <laughs> Are you listening to yourself talk right now? Yeah, I know. Yeah, but he does seem to believe in as much as explaining to his wife why mm -hmm. Florence couldn't enter the chapel because in this hell house, in this Mount Everest of haunted houses, it's it's a massive mansion, right? Mm -hmm. um, in the book, they even go so far as to explain a steam room and an underground um, Olympic-sized swimming pool and stuff oh, like that. Yeah, so well, if you're going to have like a sex house, you got to have the steam room. Fucking you got to right. have the swimming pool. I know, right? All we get to see of, of the sex house here is this big dining table, whatever. Um, yes. But there is a chapel, which would be really really blasphemous in 1971 i'm sure to have a lot of this religious iconography the way they do well and especially when florence enters it the the voices she hears is moans of ecstasy it sounds like sex in the chapel oh yeah. yeah and you know that they did it there so the wife is like well why couldn't she come in and he says oh and it's very concentrated psychic energy in here and she's a psychic medium so it's probably overwhelming like, he totally believes it. He totally believes that she is a psychic medium and it's very psychically charged in there and she can't enter. Yeah. Where if he were a skeptic, he would just be like, oh, she's faking it or, you know, like force her to come in or whatever. So he does respect her beliefs. Yeah. I'm sure she should be respecting that he's a skeptic and that he believes that this is all going to be scientifically proven one way or the other. Everything is cordial for a little while. Tempers start to flare when she becomes frustrated that no one's listening to her because she definitely believes that Daniel is real and she really wants to help him. She does actually have an argument and it's the first time that we get to see the house freak out because yeah. I like ghost movies. I keep saying ghost movies. I like haunted house movies. Mm -hmm. I like haunted house movies a lot. And it's probably a lot to do with movies like this that are really fucking good haunted house movies. So I keep watching other haunted house movies, kind of waiting for something this good, right? But part of liking haunted house movies is you want to see the house fucking freak out. Mm -hmm. So finally, when we get to see the house fucking freak out, I love it. Up until this point, before we get into the whole room exploding, um, we have had what we didn't have in The Innocence and what we didn't have in even more so in Burnt Offerings is the house is a personality. Yes. The house is menacing. The house is creepy. The house is watching them. The mm. house doesn't like them. Yes. And it's made very apparent mm. just with, you know, our caricatures of evil. Right. We've had angles of the house watching them. A lot of things in the house look like eyes watching them. The house has had like a mist. They've said it gets cold. They said it smells terrible and yeah. it's dark. So they're already, you know, freaked out. Florence starts a little argument with Barrett which ends with his glass shattering in his hand. Yeah. And then it's on. And the oh, house yeah. freaks out. Oh, hell yeah, it does. He's outraged mostly because, I'm sure it was because it was tea in the cup and, you know, the Brits like their tea. And... Oh, I'd be pissed. <laughs> like, how am I supposed to do my tea in a biscuit? I can't do it now. My, my cup tea... just exploded in my hand. Yeah, I know. Most ungentlemanly like. Um, in, in the craziest thing that I saw, honestly was how aggressive the house was attacking him. Like the tray of food with the little uh, uh, sticks in it, like fly towards the chair and sticks in it. Like if that hit him, I don't think it would kill him, but like it would seriously maim him. 
um also like him falling backwards in his chair and then the fireplace igniting with like this ball of fire and and he's just like oh oh, oh, oh. he's just sort of like running all they're over. also very british the most of them are remaining seated you know <laughs> while the table is like dancing in front of them and every single thing has been spilled off or mm -hmm. launched across the room violently mm -hmm. it is super violent it's not just like glasses shattering they're shattering at your face oh yeah and stuff like that which i think is done really really well for 1971 or 73 it's like super scary actually i agree there's a lot of tension building scenes and even uh the scenes where uh florence is being possessed and speak and a spirit is speaking through her I think that it's a very obvious trick how they're doing the vocal effects, mm -hmm. but I think that it's effective. And even when we were sitting here watching this, I was like, you know, I bet if if this was the middle of the night and I was by myself, this would kind of creep me out a little bit. I bet you it would. Uh, alternatively, the house is so active. There's so many scenes where Florence is by herself. Even before this big table scene, there's straight up scenes where... Um, Blankets are being pulled away. Doors are opening. Uh, and, and this is happening. And the, 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 the thing that I dug about Florence is she's not afraid. So it's a, it's a strange reaction when you're seeing a character have all of these phenomena happen around them. And they're not reacting the way that you would kind of expect. Right? Yeah, no, she's not afraid. She expects most of this yeah and like she has mentioned that these are things that that all of these manifestations are things that were mentioned in the bible so mm -hmm. her being so very religious it definitely does seem old hat to her mm -hmm. oh yeah there's no slow burn to uh activity in the house mm -hmm. you know that there's something up with the house and there's so much up with the house it actually becomes absurd that the doctor is skeptic at all <laughs> right like I, I understand having a scientific mind and needing irrefutable proof i'm like dude shit is going ape shit around you you're seeing it and and if you think she's faking it explain how he could explain away all of those things especially with his wife getting possessed because his wife becomes possessed by this oh, spirit does she ever <laughs> it's a brilliant scene it's really good yeah. she is awoken in the middle of the night not wearing a turtleneck i think that was her first mistake oh she was wearing a nightgown she Dip, should have been wearing dip, a turtleneck dips low and she watches the shadows of two uh, uh, of a statue get it on yeah oh yeah like real sexy like real oh dirty, yeah real dirty and, um, and her husband won't wake up and i thought is this one of those things where a ghost thing is happening and Part of the ghost power is not letting someone wake up when you're literally shaking them and yelling at them to wake up. Who sleeps that heavily? Like, if you put hands on me when I'm asleep, I'll get up. Here's a cute thing of the difference between the book and the film is that he is, um, he had polio, I believe, when he was younger. Oh, no. So one of his legs oh, is no. crippled and he's on a lot of uh, opium. Oh. Yeah. Chasing the white dragon, is he? Basically. <laughs> yeah, he's on he's on opiates. He's on heavy opiates, so he's drugged a lot of the times when he's sleeping. So really? that helps. If they could have just wiggled that into the movie, it would have helped a little bit, and it would have helped a lot more having him being uh, as a youth stricken with polio and being on all these drugs that he was also impotent. Uh, so her laying there at night thinking about sex and seeing sex shadows happening over her bed and him not being able to wake up is probably a daily occurrence well she goes to grab herself a drink i love that there's just liquor everywhere in this well it's a house of vice and debauchery oh is it ever yeah 
and she goes and I love she opens up the cabinet and there's all these books there. One of the books that she pulls out is uh, Auto Erotic Phenomenon, which just happened. Yeah. Wow. Fitting. Good thing she didn't read that. But now she's, you know, she's got the touch. Yeah, she's all lubed up. Yeah, she's ready for action. She goes downstairs in the middle of the night. And I love how the movie does a really good job of saying, like, uh, of filming her in such a way that it's like, oh, it's sexy time now. Her hair's down. Uh, the silhouette, you could see her body silhouette through her nightgown. Very sexy. That's racy for 1973. And she's glistening with sweat. Oh, yeah. And she goes to Fisher, who <laughs> looks like he's never had a woman come on to him ever. He is wearing a turtleneck. He's wearing a turtleneck. I will point that out. Yeah, I know, but it goes beyond the fact that, like, <laughs> how undignified. It goes beyond upper crust British discomfort with sexuality. He almost behaves like an alien. He behaves like completely asexual and repulsed, sex repulsed mm-hmm. to the point that when she has some of her most amazing and quotable lines, which I will not quote here. Why not? Because I would not do half as good a job of relaying that sort of like feral sexuality. I just, I wouldn't even do a quarter good of a job as she does. Well, she suggests in the scene that she wants all of them naked together. Why don't you do the scene? Why don't you do it? Well, I don't remember all the lines, but she. But one of the things that I, I did uh, remember was, like, drunk and sweating and... Uh, clutching. Clutching and biting. Clutching. Yeah. That. That's what she wants. That's what she's into. And he is not having any of it. Oh, uh, and she tears her clothes off in one death move. Just like... Wah. Yeah. And he... Looks down at her naked body and looks up to her like horrified. <laughs> I think he does it excellently. I think that's some of the best acting. Now, of course, this is Roddy McDowell. Yes. An amazing is. actor. Yes. So that helps, right? Of course. <laughs> Definitely helps. Um, the acting across the board is really strong in this oh, movie. All impeccable. All impeccable. Especially that look on his face because <laughs> I, you could see his balls shrivel just in his eyes. <laughs> if he has balls I thought maybe there might be an aspect of it where I was like well maybe he just thinks that she's married so but at the same time she's not even just talking about in that scene she's not talking about like oh let's just the two of us have a sordid affair right now well, she wants everybody in on it yeah and um, one thing not mentioned in the film that's mentioned in the book is her aversion she's a huge homophobe so she has a real problem with any of her sexual you know desires being projected on florence tanner Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things she's like you me that girl all of us she Mm -hmm. wants like a huge orgy just like belasco would have wanted just like what has happened in this house they discovered 26 bodies emmerich belasco not among them that was how that orgy ended right yeah and that's what she wants to do so of course it's horrifying to him and he's wearing a turtleneck. I would not be as noble. <laughs> Just stating for the record. Just stating for the record. So I was like, ah, this is the disconnect. I don't see myself in any of these characters. I think I can see myself in every single one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately slash unfortunately. Yeah, I can definitely see. You don't know how you would react in a situation like that. Because not many of us have been bricked up in a fucking sex cavern. Yeah, often. that's true. So for months, you know. 
really. So I guess that is a very horrifying thing to Fisher, especially since he is the survivor. He's seen this happen. He's seen people commit suicide in that building. He's seen people crawling toward their death in the bushes to get away from it. You know, so he, he sees this starting with her and that's part of what he's horrified. Not just her tits. Mm-hmm. They're probably great tits. Mm-hmm. I don't think we actually see them. We don't. Yeah. I know not in that scene at all, but we don't see them. Um, she does force his hand onto her boob oh, yeah. later on. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's, I think, the sexiest. Oh, yeah. sex- see, we were going on about how sexy this movie is, and it is deviantly sexy. There's no nudity. You see Florence uh, naked in silhouette where you could make out her body. Yeah, true. And you see a lot of her naked back and the naked backs of women. Mm-hmm. But it's not... There's no sex. No, no, no. It's not explicit. And even the scenes where you see, uh, the, the scene where you see Florence uh, naked in a silhouette, even though you can make it out of her body, it's very tasteful. It's not, because uh, there are some uh, movies that were coming out of Britain at this time that were a lot more explicit. Virgin Witch comes to mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, they're a lot more terrible too. Like, like I suppose the, the quality, when you're getting this production value, these types of actors... Uh, willing to be somewhat naked, provided it's tasteful, and no actual sexual acts being performed on, well, actual simulated sexual acts being performed for the camera. Yeah, it makes it a lot more palatable for the public. Yeah. And a great way to take a book that's really full of a lot of deviant fucking fucked up shit mm-hmm. and just sort of like shoehorn it into the public consumption. Yeah. So that we can sit around and talk about it like we are today. Yeah. Makes me very happy. (laughs) I can tell. Now, Florence Tanner wasn't very happy with all of this because while that's going on, she's getting visited by herself in her room by Daniel Belasco. Mm -hmm. Outside of a sitting, he has come to her and sort of stated his case. What he wants is to possess her. Yeah. And she seems oddly open to this idea, which would just be weird for, I think, for like a priest to want to be possessed true but at the same time she seems very obsessed with the idea of helping it seems to be i really want to help i'm very enthusiastic about helping therefore if there's a part of me obviously that wants to remain pure and chaste and not allow what the spirit wants but there's this other part of her that really wants to help. So you could see her wrestling with that. And I think that's relatable. We've all like been in situations where you really want to help somebody, but you're like, I don't know. Like, I think if she would have seen what had gone on with Mrs. Barrett downstairs, if she would have seen this, you know, prudish kind of woman turn into this like totally wanton harlot Mm -hmm. and suggest like an orgy, she probably wouldn't have been so open to it. But of course that's kept from her. Yeah. And it's kept from their husband, too, at first, because mm-hmm. it happens again, unfortunately. Yeah. She gets possessed, so to speak, by this spirit of sex and goes down and propositions Ben Fisher again. And some of the dealings that Mrs. Tanner is having with the spirits aren't being made apparent. So they're all starting to keep a little bit of secrets from one another for a little bit. And it's not until the next time that everyone gets really beat up by the ghosts that they start telling one another what they've been thinking, what they've been seeing, mm-hmm. what they've been talking to as far as spirits. So it's kind of an interesting little plateau in the film, I think, where everyone seems to have their own interactions with the house. And where Ben does prove to us why he's closed off. 
Fisher has a moment in front of the fire, which also brings to mind some of the camera angles that are used in this because they're used really, really effectively in this scene, I think. Even though it's one of the shorter examples, it's done really, really well. Everyone is starting to have all of these interactions with the house and it's becoming very, very apparent that they're, you know, teetering on an edge of being, like, seduced by this energy that's going on in the house. And pretty soon they're going to end up just like the last party, dead and dying or half dead. They might end up like the original Belasco group, the, the Aphrodites, they were called, and all end up fucking dead if they're not careful. So Ben starts realizing this, so he thinks, well, maybe I will open myself up to this house because I'm not helping anybody sitting here being like, you know what, guys, just shut yourselves down, have a drink, sleep well, and it'll all be over in a week. He starts second-guessing even himself, and he's at the fire having a drink and decides to open himself up to this energy. And it's a really short scene. Like, what did you think of that? It's, like, super subtle where he goes mad for, like, 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, For me, anytime that you're dealing with a character who is being influenced by an otherworldly force, but there's no special effects to indicate that, there's no mist, there's no... You are relying entirely on an actor's performance. So how believable or effective, or in this case, scary, a scene could possibly be, is heaped entirely on this person's shoulders. And what we're given by this actor is a sense that finally opening your mind up to it is unbelievably painful. And you are, he is, whatever he is seeing, whatever he's feeling is the worst thing he's seen or felt in his entire life to the point where he is writhing on the floor. Nearly in an epileptic fit. Almost. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was really great. And I think that, um, in this decade where you're doing horror, where you have a lot less to work with in terms of special effects and there's no modern techniques that we would even implement now. Like if it was, if this scene was done now, there would be a lot of fast camera angles and banging perhaps. And there are also uh, specifically, there would be other characters to witness it, to be horrified, to make us, to give us direction about how we're supposed to feel about what this character is feeling. Yeah, yeah. These are little tricks that, that that modern cinema does to make us empathize a little bit more with the character that we're actually saying. So in this time, we have one close-up shot, a loud scream, and then we'll pan out shot in front of the fireplace into a violent convulsion cut. That is to make you question even really what you just saw yeah and so, it really does happen that fast too. yeah and so and so it's very unnerving and very effective yeah because up until this point we've spent a lot of time letting ourselves be convinced that if he does open his mind up that it's going to be horrible it's yeah. going to be painful and it's going to probably kill him yeah it was his worst nightmare this yeah. house and being back into it he's calm but in his moments of weakness where he's confessing to florence that you need to go or you need to close yourself off to it because he says that all he wants to do is collect his money and never come within a thousand miles of this place ever. Yeah. For as long as he lives, he'll never be any closer to this place than that. Which now he's really adamant. At first he'd been like, you know what? I'm, yeah, I'm going to just close my mind and he's not going to really talk to other people about it. And sure, if he witnesses weird things, he's just going to keep his mouth shut. Then he's like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I will help out. He has that moment where he just about loses his fucking mind. And then he's very adamant, no. What we need to do is close our minds, not interact. We need to stay together so that we can witness each other's emotions and make sure none of us are being influenced by this house. And we need to get out. 
once it's done. And he keeps telling other people that they should leave. Tanner keeps telling Ben he should leave. Barrett's convinced that Tanner's trying to make him leave. They've often talked about making the wife leave because she keeps getting sexy. Mm. Yeah, which is a no-no in this house. That's oh, the number yeah. one way it's going to get into your mind, right? I think that Florence should have left because she was the one that was getting the worst of it. Not only is she... The forced, per- she's forced to sit, too. So she's like the number one guinea pig. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the second time that she sits, she's in like this leotard thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, manif- uh, she manifests uh, ectoplasm. Which is the easily the biggest special effect that this movie has. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, non-practical special yeah, effect. Yeah, like there's a huge ball of fire, but that's a huge ball of fire. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's not put in post. But yeah. the uh, ectoplasm, which isn't really used as much. You'd said... Um, the Haunting of Connecticut yeah. has a big emphasis on ectoplasm because it's going back to... The Haunting of Connecticut really is talking about the the days where seances were almost like vaudeville entertainment mm-hmm. people would go to houses and have a seance and very famous mediums would have instances where like ectoplasma would come out of their bodies and stuff and there was photographs so that was the hunting connecticut had all that kind of shit going on in it yeah and the ectoplasm idea the reason for the leotard and this big Um, curtain of bells in front of her is to ward off stuff like that because and that's why we don't see ectoplasm in uh these ghost hunting television shows Mm -hmm. i'd love if someone does watch all of those shows and there is one that has ectoplasm where they mention ectoplasm where they collect ectoplasm and i'm making air quotes that no one can see yeah um ectoplasm is kind of a concept that has gone the way of the dodo because it's been disproven completely it's 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 kind of up there with like that like the the photo the, the photo of Loch Ness monster to crop circles to the photo of Bigfoot like there's just evidence that supports that it's absolutely 100% artificial and so you don't really put as much stock in them nowadays so someone's like ectoplasm <laughs> it's like you know that was a thing that was made up right like no ectoplasm <laughs> it's true and back then it hadn't being quite disproven as violently as it has been yet yes so there's a really interesting explanation which sort of helps explain barrett's skepticism slash believing in the things that are going on around him never really discounting them but knowing that there's got to be a scientific proof for them he takes a look at this ectoplasm after they collect it and it's made up of like mucus and epithelials and things from the psychic's body and like fibers from the leotard she was wearing and things like that Mm -hmm. that he gave her so he knows that there's no fraud going on in there right Mm -hmm. and he explains this to his wife and it all you know makes sort of pseudoscience sense that this the energy would be drawing these things out of her body and creating it in midair for them to see the 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 mind manifested yeah is specifically how he says it it's a great speech and explanation i really dug that scene a lot and in 73 that would be that pseudoscience that would really really get to you yeah and people be like oh okay that's how it is yeah makes sense it explains all those mediums photographed under a call if you will of ectoplasm Quite creepy looking, but yeah, totally disproven. So we don't have that kind of ectoplasm fun nowadays. Not nowadays, but I think that if you're already sitting down to watching a movie like this, you just let yourself go with it. All right, ectoplasm. It was like when Haunting of Connecticut came out, ectoplasm was already passe. Oh, totally. Right? So, but but you just like, all right, I'm going to sit down and just roll with it because, all right, why not? 
you're already watching a movie where there's ghosts. So, like, <laughs> where are you going to stretch the line of credulity? Like, it's, it's a, like, oh, ectoplasm? Now I don't buy it. Like, you just... All I can really remember from this film, from The Legend of Hell House, the next one that I remember mentioning ectoplasm is Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. Really? So that's, like, where we went in the film with ectoplasm. Well, she's attacked by a, a, a cat, Florence is. Yeah, and a real nice hammer horror move. <laughs> Someone's like, were you, by a cat. Were, you, were you wrestling with the cat and everything like that? And the cat's going, <laughs> hissing very menacingly. She clunks it with a fucking uh, bric-a-brac on the shelf. It's like, dunk. Yeah, it's a probably a big, heavy metal giant ashtray or some yeah. shit. And then she, uh, it is very hammer horror because she closes the door on it and then you just see this like, like bloody evil paws like coming out from underneath You hear it. it scrabbling at the other side of the door trying to get out at her. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's possessed as hell. Which mm-hmm. is kind of hilarious. That's the first time she gets really beat up by this house too. Mm-hmm. And she continues to get beat up by this house. Well, she had scratches on her breasts. Uh, and bite marks. Yeah, beforehand. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, like sl- slowly but surely like this very sweet woman is just getting like more and more brutalized and she is ridiculously sweet and she almost fits into this mold if you didn't know that she really really honestly was trying to help the way that she's taking this all in stride and still being trying to mostly be positive about everything and do what she can to help the ghost and help her fellow housemates it's almost like this like petulant princess kind of look to her she is so like stubborn but happy Mm-hmm. and adorable yeah that it's even doubly hard to see her go through all of these things where she's getting like molested and beat up and she's bleeding and she's the one taking the worst of it and being mm-hmm. forced to swear the most being forced to swear the most and not only that but constantly dealing with people that don't believe her yeah yeah so all these things are happening to her and dr barrett thinks that she, she's doing it to herself yeah, even to the point of, like, taking a look at when she's covered in scratches at how long her fingernails are and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really subtle, too. It's done subtly enough that the audience, I think, gets it, gets mm-hmm. his attitude towards her um, before he explains it, usually by way of explaining it to his wife. There's yeah. a lot of mansplaining going on in this. So, so much mansplaining. Yeah, it gets a little tiresome. It's it's comical. It's comical. It's British. It's the early 70s. Yeah. I I kind of... Give it a pass. Kind of the way that I give, like, Night of the Living Dead a pass for one, like, how the dudes talk to the women in those movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although Mrs. Cooper is fucking awesome. But, like, like a burgeoning sexual freedom from his wife because of the fact that she is really being awakened oh. by this house. Is she ever? And she just won't quit. There's a second time that she goes down. And it's always Ben Fisher. Ben Fisher oh, just shouldn't be alone. It's not that the women shouldn't be alone. It should. It's a Ben Fisher shouldn't fucking be alone. Oh man, because these ladies. It's a are, trick magnet. Oh, he's a trick magnet. And you know what? I didn't see it until he took over. Took off those dopey aviator glasses. <laughs> and I was like, huh, all right, yeah, all right, Fisher, all right. Let's see what's under that turtle. What's? <laughs> what do you got going under that? Oh, another turtleneck. <laughs> More than likely, just to be safe, <laughs> I would be piling on the turtlenecks. <laughs> Double too. turtleneck, Jesus. triple turtlenecks. Fucking right, man. <laughs> it's a bit much. The next time that she comes after him, though, her husband is standing on the landing and oh, sees, sees it, it happen. And and the and the most uh, tawdry of all things, she grabs his hand and puts it on her breast, 
And he's just like, ah! <laughs> like almost like she put his hand on a burning stove. Yeah. He pulls his hand away so uh, desperately. And then, yeah, sure enough. And she says, like, touch me, damn you, or I'll find someone who will. Oh, yeah. Which is a real big dig at her husband, too, because he's upstairs sleeping. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, you never seen, like, more venomous bile spew from someone saying sleeping before. Yeah. You know what she means by he's sleeping? It means that her his penis is not in her vagina where it's supposed to be. Yeah. She is pissed. Oh, hell yeah. Or let's say the spirit of the house is pissed. I think it's, like, I, given, given what's happening in the books, given the background of the character, I think that maybe without the house's influence, she would have kind of had that... Stiff upper lip, and because it's the only stiff thing I'm getting, and <laughs> good one, Wes. Thank you. Sorry, I don't know how those slow claps will translate to the recording, but <laughs> slow clap, slow clap. Um, but I think that this house is simply uh breaking down the wall and revealing something that's already there, somewhat. Yeah, because she does say, like, this isn't the house doing it, it's me. Yeah. 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 And and not only that, but like, I mean, you know, she's a, 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 a young, beautiful woman. She got married. Like, that's not what she signed up for. You know what I mean? Lots of people are trapped into that, you know? And even more back then, you know, just close your eyes and think of England was what would what would apparently happen when sex happened. Your wifely duties and all those sorts of things. Ugh. We were just entering into this, like, liberated female sort of sense of being able to have a sexuality and admit they have a sexuality right so yeah all of those things were being played with but i don't see that in that character more in the book yes in the film it seems sort of like the house is doing it i don't think that it's her well i, I it is true because when she is acting this way it's completely 180 from how she normally acts yeah. the, even everything from her body language to the, her manner of speak has been altered so i do agree that at least in terms of the movie if you take it at face value yeah it's just the house i guess it's maybe just that fun and that's why people would stay at the blasco mansion because you know here's some booze and drugs and naked people oh fuck yeah these would slowly decide that that's pretty awesome right yeah i mean it's not even slowly and you're not even there and you've decided that's pretty awesome i want the sexy booze drug house i've still reminded him listeners that this all ends in cannibalism and necrophilia and death but the lead up lydia the lead up eh? tempting yes and he didn't even read the book no i didn't although i'm super tempted to now i'll point out another big difference in the book like, there are subtle differences. It's a book being translated to a movie. I mean, there's going to be differences for that sure. That is the art of adaptation. It's true. And this is a really good example of an excellent art of adaptation because the author wrote the screenplay. But mm -hmm. the things they chose to leave out make the book such a precious gem. I have so much of this film ingrained in my memory that reading the book, I can't help but have the film play back in my head. Gotcha. And there's several times where the movie has the exact same scene going on and then the movie scene cuts but the scene in the book continues and it's always 10 times more fucked up and it's not like sex because we talk a lot about this the sex that doesn't exist in this movie there's no sex in the book either no one has sex but the shit that gets done and said and i'm not going to get into all of it because i don't want to say such horrible words on air <laughs> like that's anal a, cunt that's a first yeah it is a first it's that crazy um 
for the 1970s, for 1971. It's that crazy. There's way crazier stuff out there now. Yeah, for sure. And there was crazier stuff then, too. There's dinosaur erotica now. But for a book that was published by Bantam, and it's a regular mm-hmm. paperback you could have bought anywhere, it's kind of fucked up. And I'm just going to read, like, one tiny little bit for an example. And I'll talk another about another example later when we get to it in the story. But this is Florence Tanner is has decided to finally let the spirit of Daniel Velasco into her body via sex with love. Mm-hmm. That's she, her stipulation. She says, with love, not rough, gross sex. Now, it should be pointed out that um, they believed that they found the body of Daniel in uh, a dungeon-like area, all chained up to the wall. And they buried the body and did his last rites. Uh, the spirit has still not left the house. And so it approaches her pleading demanding love and saying that it's trapped and it can't leave and this is the only way mm-hmm. convinces her that it needs to enter her body <clears throat> with love with love with love with love <laughs> and then i've read the book right so this scene starts out with her getting naked into bed it's dark the ghost gets on top of her i suppose because we can't see it and enters her with love yes and she opens her eyes with a horror-stricken look and screams yes Scene ends, people come running to help her. In the book, it goes on just a little bit longer. Yeah. She closed her eyes and turned onto her back again, feeling his weight shift onto her. With love, she murmured, please, with love. Florence, he said. She opened her eyes. In an instant, she lay petrified, heartbeat staggering as she gasped at what was laying on top of her. It was the figure of a corpse, its face in advanced state of decomposition. Livid, scaly flesh was crumbling from its bones, its rotted lips wreathing in a leering smile that showed discolored, jagged teeth, all of them decayed. Only the slanting yellow eyes were alive, regarding her with demoniacal glee. A leaden, bluish light enveloped its entire body, gases of putrefaction bubbling around it. A scream of horror flooded her throat as the moldering figure plunged inside her. It plunged inside her, Wes. A corpse. A rotting corpse plunged inside her. A very graphically detailed rotting corpse. Yeah. Now that was something that would not have been put into the movie whatsoever. And her horrified reaction would be, oh, she saw something. The book says this is what she saw. Yeah, yeah. And the movie, it does cut. Like, right, exactly. It follows that scene up exactly until she opens her eyes mm-hmm. uh just the book we get to see what she saw which mm-hmm. is corpse rape so there are quite a few bits in this especially moving toward the end because now florence tanner is possessed she keeps sort of flipping flopping back and forth from her own personality to her possessed personality which is pretty cool pretty mm-hmm. normal for possession films if, if you watch those I'm sure some of our listeners have watched one or two possession movies. One or two, maybe. Yeah. Um, and the the construct in the house starts to break down, too. Um, ben Fisher is, it seems like he's going to leave any minute. The husband and wife are fighting. Oh, yeah, because he thinks that his wife is cheating on him. Yeah. Or wanting to, desperately. All he wants to do is turn his machine on and cleanse this house. Now, this machine is a large... Looks like a computer's got like dials on it and shit like that. Very well, seventy three. It was a computer. It yeah, was probably I know. as powerful as well, not even as powerful as my laptop. As powerful as your pocket calculator. As powerful as a Timex Indiglo watch. Yes, <laughs> or a swatch, a digital swatch. Not even Indiglo. Now the idea behind this machine is it's supposed to emit a massive 
electromagnetic pulse. It's a blotto box, basically, for those who read Cap'n Crunch. This electromagnetic pulse should dissipate the energy. And if it does, it proves the doctor's point that this is not a personality, as evidenced by the fact that apparently we found a body, buried it, and it did nothing. Yeah. Um, that this is simply just a nebulous energy. That's exactly what he's after. The idea that he can prove that this Mount Everest of haunted houses was nothing more than a bunch of energy, just like any haunting, and that he will be the number one regarded scientific mind as far as dissipating these residual energies. Now, Fisher goes apeshit at this idea because of the fact that if he were to do this, he would be directly attacking the house. So far, they're just guests in the house and all of this weird shit has been happening. But the second he, Fisher ex, uh, explains, you start attacking this house, it's going to kill you. Yeah, yeah. We're flying under its radar right now. Yeah. But yeah, as soon as you start poking it with sticks, it's going to bite. That's what he's definitely afraid of it. He's already proven to us that he's very afraid of this house. And then he double proved that he's very afraid of this house. And now he's putting his foot down. Mm -hmm. And I'm surprised he didn't leave right then and there. Me too, but I, I'm wondering if the, the pull of the 100,000 is keeping him there or if the fact that he is a good guy and he doesn't really want to leave these people because he knows that they're not going to leave. So maybe he thinks he could be of some kind of help. I'm not sure. And there's also the countdown factor. There's only like, you know, at this point, it's only like 12 hours to go before mm. they're turning on this machine and they're allowed to leave because their benefactor gave them one week. You yeah. know, in one week, they're allowed to leave the house. And this movie takes its time to indicate times and dates. Uh, just like the book. Yeah, the book does. Yeah. So you kind of know. Like, I, I love that it's not like 140. It's always like 143. It's always very. <laughs> random times. Random times. Uh, random. It seems like purposefully as random as possible. He's like, wait a second. It was an even number last time. Better be an odd number this time. I wonder if numerologically you could add up all the numbers in the book and get some sort of like secret code of Hell House. Oh, shit. It That's was, what I'm doing tomorrow. It was the Illuminati the whole time. Probably. When is it not the Illuminati the whole time? I'm going to look for a pyramid. Is there a pyramid on this book anywhere? Well, you know, the thing is, it's the sexy secret organization, the Illuminati. The Illuminati. I love it. Because you would think, if this were an American film, um, where everyone's just at each other's fucking knickers all the time, that the draw for keeping... Fisher here would be something like Tanner, Florence Tanner, because she's pretty and she's under siege. Yeah. And now she's like, you know, trying to invite fucking orgies herself. And oh, man, like that's that. the other thing. I was like, damn, Fisher, you got another one. Yeah. Hooked on the line. Got two girls that would just tear them to bits sexually yeah. right now. I know, right? I know they would. I'm, I'm sure like... they're possessed, but, you know, crazy in the head. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. But yeah. So part of him wanting to, I guess why he doesn't run away is to kind of protect her and, yeah, help out, like you said. And he mm -hmm. sees this marriage falling apart in front of him, which is pretty sad, I guess. Mm -hmm. His little bits of humanity started getting woken mm -hmm. up if his psychic ability isn't. I dig this, though, because I love when you're doing characters that are good people. But good people get scared. Good people get selfish. Yeah. Good people, uh, you know that, that Fisher walked into this situation with his heels dug into the sand saying fine i want the money i'm not these people are not my friends i'm not helping i am going to 
have some scotch and stare at the fire wait a week go home rich there's always somebody like that on that survivor show too i find yeah i haven't watched much survivor except like the first like season and a little of the second one but i know it's like still going on which boggles my mind but there's always that person who's just like i'm not here to make friends there's no alliances no rules i'm just gonna sit back wait till you all fight amongst yourselves and i'll be last man standing it never works out like that ever but uh i guess he's never seen survivor anyway probably not but he's a bit of a survivor himself because of the fact that he got out of this house once so he's planning on doing it again this time with a fat fucking paycheck to go along with it can you blame him no no not absolutely and honestly he's the most rational person there who has a deference for this place it's sort of innocuous too because up until the midpoint of the film it's like you can sort of identify with everybody or you can't identify with anybody but you don't think that he's going to be the guy not at all because he does just kind of sit back he seems like a little dweeby he doesn't seem very friendly you know there's nothing really about him that's compelling it's not until he has his little fucking moment of madness and beyond that when he starts actually caring a little about the other people in the house mm-hmm. that you start paying a lot of attention to what he has to say well when we first meet him the fucking guy won't ever say more than two words to anybody he he answers questions when asked but he almost seems annoyed by it yep and the second his explanation is done clams up instantly he has nothing more to say kind of don't blame him he did almost die 20 years ago he was just a kid he was just a kid and he yeah. watched uh people die around him because yeah. of this house and who knows how early on, even just one or two words out of other people's mouths, he would be like, shit, they're the one that's going to end up getting fucking ghost raped. Or, you know, how similar it was the last time he was in this house. Mm-hmm. How horrible that would be. Now, Florence is absolutely against this idea entirely for her other reasons. Because she does, she believes that... These are personalities. These are spirits yeah. and ghosts. You need to lay them to rest. You need to appease them. The same trap that a lot of haunted house films fucking fall into. Yeah. She says that if by by uh, removing them from this hell, you're condemning them to another. And I'm thinking bummer. Bummer. It's what you get. You mean how? Like like a daily existence? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> bummer, Florence. She was about to leave, though. If they would have all just zipped it, the little, little fucking god girl would have just went on her merry way. Because they were about to drive her into town. Mm-hmm. Ben was like giddy up come on let's go and then fucking barrett had to open his mouth and tell her what the machine did she was about to leave she had her little like travel bag and her galoshes on and everything but no barrett told her what the machine was intended to do it was going to dissipate reverse all of this energy so she grabs a crowbar and starts smashing at the dials and everything like that and they even do say good thing she didn't know what to smash well she smacks fisher pretty good yeah she does she <laughs> but does. she just kind of yeah she breaks the dials and stuff Battle. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, to be fair, this computer was built in the 1970s, so I'm sure it could withstand nuclear fallout. It kind of looks like if you took like um, an old radio and welded it to a fridge and then welded a fridge to a deep freeze. And it has that very um, old-timey, science-y, greenish-gray color to it. Like a ca- like a like a filing cabinet. Yeah, like an old filing cabinet. Yeah, you could tell that it probably made like a dong 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 sound <laughs> if you like touch the sides of it. 
Yeah, it's mostly all like air in there, sort of like like a furnace in a basement or something. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't remind me a lot of a furnace in a basement. It's like a lot of vacuum tubes in it and shit. Yeah, 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 and dust and cat dust. Fur. Yeah, there is scene of animal violence aside from her getting attacked by the cat. The dead cat looks very fake. Yes, so. lucky, 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 lucky. Mm-hmm. And it only lasts a second. But is it ever dead? Holy monkeys. Super duper dead. But you still see a cat outside. So I don't know if it's the same cat, if it's the nine lives thing, if it's like infested by cats. Maybe it's the cats that hold the power. These are like the cats of Ulthar. These are like the cats are creating all the energy from outside. So them looking inside for the source of the energy is wrong. It's the cats. I figured it all out. Well, that's pretty good. Um, Florence goes to the chapel. She finally braves this horrible psychic energy and goes into the chapel to was it demand answers basically that's all they ever do um what weirds me out a little bit about this is that they all have already decided the house is evil they've already decided they shouldn't be alone they already decided they're very way too susceptible to the influence of this house and this machine needs to be turned on to do whatever barrett thinks he's going to do but they all split up again yeah i guess it's the house kind of like Making them decide to be separate where it's easier to influence them. Yeah, right? it's very Scooby-Doo, but... <laughs> it's very Scooby-Doo. But she does end up in the chapel um, screaming and yelling at who she thinks is Daniel Belasco. But she does finally figure out that it's Emmerich Belasco. Mm-hmm. There is no Daniel Belasco. It is the matriarch of the Belasco mansion. It is the Count himself mm-hmm. that is... And she mentions it again, like... Um, sergeant in charge of his army Mm -hmm. now he doesn't like being called out this is really all about his massive ghostly ego Mm -hmm. and well he was called in life the roaring giant yeah because he stood what six foot five or some shit Mm -hmm. like super crazy tall he was super crazy tall and imposing and legendary people a face like a demon the face of a demon almost like almost like an evil hugh hefner I, i get the idea or like um an know. evil Hugh Hefner. That's exactly what he seems to be. Yeah. yeah. A super evil Hugh Hefner. Yeah. So somebody famous, like someone who's famous for vice and extravagance, um, who then died uh, and like, or like went missing. Like, and then now they're, it's like, it's like the Playboy Mansion is haunted. Yeah. <laughs> and way scarier. And the walls are bricked up and the windows are bricked up. Yeah. Cause it was weird. Like they, and they, they, these little hints throughout the movie. Um, well, Florence, while calling him out, the, the big, uh, cross from the chapel falls down on her and crushes her legs. Yeah. Not the first person to get their legs destroyed. That's for sure. Yeah. Her Um, legs are destroyed. And then she is really fucked up, like bleeding from the mouth and massive fucking trauma. Oh yeah. She's, she's, she's done. Yeah, and it basically smashes across her pelvis. And I will point out one of the second biggest things that they had to change, maybe the third biggest thing they had to change in the book or not mention uh, from the book to the film, is that this huge cross. And when they first walk in the chapel at the beginning of the film, um, in the book, they first walk in and they right away note that it has a massive penis, a big, hard, erect phallus. In, yeah, on Jesus. On Jesus. So they're like, well, that's blasphemous. If they they wouldn't have been able to show that in this film, no, no way. No, there's no way they would have gotten away with that. So when the huge cross and the crucifixion, crucified Christ falls on Florence, killing her effectively, slowly but killing her, where do you think the phallus goes, huh? Wait a second. Uh huh. 
Ew. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. And they don't just mention that maybe the phallus, like, they make it very clear that the phallus fucking, she gets um, impaled by the cock of Christ. And wow. it kills her because it, like, disembowels her, basically. Damn. And they mention it when people find her body. They're just like, oh, my God, is that where that, when they pull the cross off of her and it's like the cock is covered in gore? Yeah. They don't do that in the film, though. Not surprisingly. No. She just gets her legs crushed. Mm-hmm. In her death throes, she manages to write a big B <laughs> on the, now, fellow sleuthers, this might be too subtle for you, but I cracked the code immediately. Oh, what does the B stand for? Uh, boner. Boner. Yep. That's what I thought, too. <laughs> yeah, it was, I wasn't killed by being crushed. I was killed by being disemboweled by a giant rock boner. Yeah. Yeah. What a way to go. What a way to go. <laughs> See, and if Emmett Velasco had his way, they would have found that body and had so much fun. But no, they're mortified because yeah. it's basically a priest that just got killed by uh, a Christ statue. It's mm-hmm. pretty sad. Fitting, but sad. Me seeming like Pamela Franklin as a little girl in The Innocence, and then the next time I see her is like an adult woman. I mean, obviously she grew up to be incredibly beautiful and as talented or even more talented now than she was in The Innocence. Like her acting prowess is nothing to joke at. Oh, it's but, then, but then to see her like brutalized and then gruesomely murdered, I was like, oh. It is. It is sad. Super sad. They do a really good job of building a really, really touching character with her too, right? Let alone her just being adorable and amazing actress. Of course, this doesn't scare them all out of the house right away, which it should. This is the first death, really. It should. And 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 like, it's coming to this point. I was like, you found a body in this house and you buried it in the yard. You didn't contact police at all. Well, they figured they will when they're done. They do mention that you can't move a body and bury it. Okay. I'll note that for later. Oh my god. No, I they're like in the middle of fucking nowhere, I man. I get it, I guess, but And like, it's an old corpse. It's not like someone just died. Well, someone just died now and they're just like, "I must activate my machine." And I think even once the machine is running and Fisher's taken off it seems and the husband and wife are just like, "We'll turn on the machine." Um the wife is like, "It's a shame Florence had to die." Isn't it? Isn't it, though? Yes. yes. <laughs> Carry on, then. Stiff up a lip and all that. I know. It's so dispassionate about the whole thing. I know. It's almost unbelievably dispassionate. There's mm-hmm. a few more sections in the book where they do discuss it, but it's equally as dispassionate, where they just, you know, oh, well, too bad. Yeah, you're right. It's too bad she had to die. Bummer. Shrug. Mm-hmm. Walk away. Now, they activate the machine, and and unfortunately, it's elect- an electromagnetic wave, so there's no fanfare, although I was kind of hoping that there would be. I was well, like, a... The house kind of rattles and shakes a little, and there's mist inside. Yeah, oh yeah, I guess there is that. I was... Everything's dissipating. But if it was a modern movie, there would be like fucking CGI, like waves of electricity. And sparks and faces in the mist going, oh, it's like Freddy's children and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, 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 it would yeah. totally be like that. Yeah. Um, but no. No, it's not like that this time. The lights dim, a little bit of like dust in the air. So they all come back into the house and uh, like Fisher is charged with like, you have to open yourself up psychically to this house. You need to know it's clear. Yeah. And yeah. it is clear. He does. He ex- he gleefully and joyfully exclaims, almost like Scrooge, 
bursting out his windows and wishing everyone a Merry Christmas. He's like, it's clear. The house is clear. And he really believes it. And it's you believe, and you're almost thinking, you know what? We've got like 15 minutes left of this movie. What do they do? Just stand there hugging one another or something? The house is clear. <laughs> oh, it's uh, uh, 4.30. It's time for tea. Yeah. <laughs> um, Past tea. Well, all of a sudden, when uh, the good doctor's by himself, his good lady wife is off someplace fisher is off someplace yeah because the house is clear it's safe to be alone now because you're not gonna suddenly fucking get ghost raped or trying to have sex with people yeah i know well all of a sudden the the little dial on the on his emr starts picking up a reading yeah going all the way up to like 600 900 or something like that whatever that means (laughs) i figure the higher the number the worse it is and he was like what impossible most outrageous (laughs) he's not even kidding that's almost exactly the line delivered with the exact same sort of brogue yeah and the the one of the 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 boxes the devices that he's been using explodes into his face Mm -hmm. and he's like like he's still being attacked by the house obviously being attacked yeah and he hears uh and so a loud scream happens well when when ann comes downstairs later she calls to her husband. Where is he? And and the room, by the way, the main room where the table is, and, and apparently a lot of uh, debauchery and vice all occurred. It's been ransacked. It looks like the place got robbed or something. Yeah. Uh, all of all of the good doctor's uh, shit is all over the place. She calls out to him. He answers. I'm over here. And I was like, oh man, this dude is not. You are not going to find this dude in the state that you want him to, lady. No, I was hoping like sort of like the doctor from like Hellraiser. Like, he'd be uh, strapped up on a big, like, St. Andrew's cross or something, coming at her all covered in leather and chains yeah, and stuff. Yeah, like, I think I hesitated. Exactly. Um, That's what I'm <laughs> fucking hoping for. Fingers crossed. Well, instead, you uh, find him even more fucked up than Florence was. Yeah. Just completely cut up and uh, smashed by a uh, chandelier. Or yeah, and this is... The, the chandelier tried to get him when they first, first sat down at that table yeah i gotta figure it's like just piss off the ghosts until they run out of chandeliers <laughs> I mean, they, 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 there's only so many chandeliers this place has to have and then it will transform into its final form and then you just hit it three times in the stomach and yeah the glowing it. glowing wee point yeah uh and then you're done uh <laughs> that'd be awesome she is obviously mortified finding her husband like that fisher kind of comes in they really thought that they had beat it they really thought that the house was clear and that this was done mm-hmm and that they were making it out alive, save Florence Tanner, and it was a shame she had to die. Ugh, well, pity that. Mm, yes, indeed. But now Barrett is, like, cut in half almost by this fucking chandelier, and it drives her mad. And then you can hear all the voices around her, and the house is definitely still very, very, very alive. Mm-hmm. At least in the chapel, anyway. Fisher comes in and indicates that. He says that the disturbances are concentrated to the chapel. The house is ostensibly clear. And he's impressed by this. Very, very impressed and believes now that this is all just energy. And now it must be focused somewhere and being kept somewhere. Mm -hmm. Now, this is where a lot of subtle hints start coming together that were in the movie. Expertly planted. If this were a modern film, I hesitate to say that this would have been handled a lot less delicately. They would have had flashback scenes. Which they didn't yeah. have in this. He yeah. mentions a lot of the stuff. And you, ha- you have to rely on your memory. So we're trusting that the audience paid attention. Do you think it's really broad? Do you think that it's really weak? Do you think that extremities? 
I think that it is a long way to go because if you're not familiar where this movie was going and I wasn't, then I don't think that I would have drawn those conclusions, but I openly admit that I'm not the smartest dude in the world. But do you think it's a, it's an, it's a language thing as well that we just don't, when I say extremities, you're probably thinking like moral extremities, sort of like the way we would have translated it the first time we heard it because Florence Tanner's in trance and talking about the key to this possession is extremities. And you'd mm-hmm. think, well, yeah, vice and debauchery and all the fucking sex and rape and like bestiality. And I shit. did, I did get an indication that they were talking about limbs, uh, at least the way the dialogue was placed. I, I was like, oh, I think they're talking about limbs, but I didn't understand why. Then when he starts, and also the fact that he has, he looks at Florence's and that her legs are sticking out, like like the lower part of her body was attacked. Then she lo- he looks over at the doctor. Barrett's feet are sticking out from under the chandelier, and he's cut in half, basically. Yeah, the legs were attacked. And he's remembering about when he narrowly escaped this house before. Yes, a person was paralyzed. Another crawled on their hands and knees, their legs not working. And someone else crushed. Uh, a woman jumped from a balcony, and her legs and pelvis were completely crushed. Mm-hmm. Then he, he sees Florence's final clue. Which is the B for Boner. For Boner, Velasquez. And he finally draws the conclusion that, oh, they were both right and both wrong in that Florence was right that it was a personality. Yeah. The doctor was right because it was one thing. And it was energy. And it was energy. But whose energy? Emmerich's energy. This whole time, it has just been one person. Daniel was made up and and go figure this this rapey sex ghost lied to you <laughs> what which was something that that i think that the the most aggravating thing about florence's character was she, at no point did she consider the idea that she was being lied to yeah somebody who deals with the devil all the time and should know all of his tricks yeah that's like the basic one that's the number one trick in the book I, I, so i was like i was like i don't know if i buy her not like, just so wholeheartedly believing, oh, how do you know this This is uh, Daniel? Because he said so. Yeah, right. And she didn't miss that day in school where they were explained exactly how fucking horrible Emmerich Blasco was and all the fucked up shit that went on in this house and that he was basically a puppeteer and that he often stood back and just watched all this happen. And he, when they're listening to the record playing his greeting, mm-hmm. She's standing right there. She's the one who finds it. And she's the one being spoken to when Fisher says he often did things to distract other people and then sat back and watched it. How do you know he didn't just walk right past us? That's one of the things telegraphed at the very beginning Mm -hmm. that this guy is a puppeteer and he's evil. So to, for her to think that she wasn't having her strings pulled is preposterous. But yeah, it is probably the most aggravating aspect of her character mm-hmm. and of the whole story, really. When you think yeah. Of it. Even though I love her character a lot, I just mm. think that this was like the glowing wee point that I think uh, pretty egregious. But, uh, well, Fisher finds out uh, that uh, there has to be a reason why Emmerich's energy is only here now. He and has a big butt plug. He's got a big butt plug. Well, he decides that one of the things that Emmerich does not like to be is called out. So he not only calls him out, he mocks him. He starts to wonder about this legend. Why would why would the the roaring giant 
why would he brick himself off? Why would he hide himself? Yeah, if he was so great and so ego, why wouldn't he be, you know, displaying his corpse? Or why didn't he take more people with him more publicly? And why does he seem to be obsessed with destroying people's legs? Um, which is a long way to go. But he comes to the conclusion, he, he was like, how tall were you? Was it 5'2"? Five, 5'1"? Five, I know you weren't even five foot tall. And each time that uh, he's mocking him, he's getting whipped back. And there's like roaring energies going around. Like he's pissing off. And you can hear these giant footsteps, which yeah. seem to be like a calling card of the ghost of Emmerich Belasco. That they can hear this this big pounding, like someone big is walking around. And I suppose that was him trying to prove, no, no, I am big. I am the roaring giant, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a really well done scene for a lack of special effects. Yeah, it's a lot of sound effects, some wind effects, um, and uh, acting. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. And finally, the back of the church blows out. And who is still there won't leave him uh leave fisher by himself who looks like she, i mean she's obviously like looks super upset and oh completely traumatized greasy and fucked up and shit and but she won't leave him she's a good lady and they go back into this mysterious room and strangely and the weirdest thing in this movie is they come across the embalmed body Perfectly preserved. Perfectly. Like, as more perfect than Lennon, even. Like, perfectly preserved. Perfectly preserved. Like, sitting in a chair, staring ahead. It's a uh, uh, good old uh, Michael Goff. Oh, yeah. It's Alfred from the old Batman movies. Uh, or um, uh, uh, before he was famously in the 90s Batman movies, all of them. Uh, he was a pretty well-known guy for old horror movies. Not quite... A Peter Cushing, but a dude that, you know, was in the genre, especially a lot of British horror and shit. And not credited as the embalmed body of Emmerich Belasco. Or that he was also the voice on the record. Yeah. And uh, when I listened to the... You had told me that he is in this movie before we started. And then when I heard the recordings that they were listening to, I was like, oh, yeah, that's definitely Michael Goff. Yeah. Well, the, the the craziest thing about this perfectly embalmed body sitting up straight looking basically alive if like not, a hugh hefner like a hugh he very hugh hefner he's wearing like the the robe and shit smoking jacket smoking jacket yeah. has a brandy in one hand he does have a brandy and i was like i was like that wouldn't have evaporated after all these years he's uh -huh. been here for decades yeah it probably would have been 40 years that he's yeah. supposed to be sitting there yeah and then uh they see the body and fisher takes a knife stabs the leg rips the pants open <gasps> It's false legs. Which <laughs> seemed like such a weird stretch. It's it's very strange. If someone would have skipped the last like, you know, minute of what we were talking about, they'd be like, What the fuck are they talking about a different movie? And that's sort of the feeling you get reading the book and in the movie, because it's really the last like two pages that all this gets boiled down to a, you know, snortable powder, if you will. <laughs> the situation is basically this. Emmerich was a very short man in life. And very vain. Very vain. And a huge ego. So what would you do with that combination? You would I, cut off your legs. I suppose, yeah. He had his legs surgically removed. And he had false legs put in to give him an immense height. Now, I think that it's hard to really say because Michael Goff is a, a, a normal-sized person. <laughs> a good height to him. Um, so what would a, would a human who was very short who had their legs cut off, would their body not look weird? 
Slightly. There's a girl that wanted some height. Um, I saw this on television like ages ago at my mom's one day. And what they did is cut her bone between her hip and knee and between her knee and ankles. So four cuts for two legs. Um, and they inserted like... You're making this face. I'm so sorry. Oh, it sorry. just sounds so painful. It is. And the recuperation is stupid. Like, So they cut her legs in four places and then put in like a one inch. Cause that's about all the body could really handle. Um, little spacer, like a little titanium spacer. And then bolted her bones all back together. And then tried and f- like fixed all of her muscles, reconnected all that stuff and stretched all of her stuff and grafted more skin. And just made her legs back together with this extra inch spacer. Uh, so she was two inches taller. That's a lot of fucking trouble for two inches taller. Yeah. She'd have been better off to cut her legs off entirely, really, truly. So maybe was, Emmerich was ahead of the game. Yeah. He was ahead of the game in another sense. Because Fisher, while he was mocking him, said, you weren't the genius at all. You weren't a genius. You weren't the roaring giant. You were a pathetic, shriveled bastard bastard yeah. your mother was a whore all kinds of nasty things he's saying to a nasty person who deserves it he realizes something that made him reconsider at the very least emmerich's intelligence because this room that he's hiding in is lead-lined completely sheathed in lead to protect him from this reverser this thing that would dissipate all electromagnetic frequency thus destroying his hold on his house and his like ghostly spiritual power decades before it even happened he is a genius he is a genius he somehow imagined that the only way to remove his energy from this house would be some kind of electromagnetic pulse something to dissipate it in any way and so he held his body in this locked state and that's why the energy the, that's why the doctor's machine didn't clear the house because he was protected now that seal has been broken unfortunately in the last two hours of their sitting in this house people have died if they would have figured all this out two hours earlier there'd be all four of them leaving but now it's just a, and and you want to know something two of the characters that i never thought were going to survive no really some of the one of the first that i thought was going to get it first is the wife because oh, yeah. she's so weak yeah but I and, guess keeping herself sort of like at that precipice where she's open to all these influences and unable to do anything about them kept her kind of safe. She was a fun uh, plaything mm-hmm. for the house to have. So I guess that's partially why she made it and having Fisher be so defiant for most of it. Yeah. Not but allowing I th- himself to be played I figured with. for a narrative, just for the sake of narrative, the house would reclaim the one survivor from the initial incident. Or you'd really think that the, that Florence would make it because she's so godly and stuff, and you want, you know, and and serves for most of the movie as the main character. Yeah, and is so really innocently sweet and helpful and friendly. I just wanted her to live. She's the first one to die. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's what you get. Me? Yeah. What do I get that? Because you're the one that thinks this house is so fucking great. Well, I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that sometimes we need a little sexual energy. To lead to levels of debauchery and vice that I have only dreamt of. Oh, okay. I get it now. Yeah. So it's the journey, not the destination. Well, the destination is cannibalism and necrophilia. and I don't want to do any of that. But that's what you've signed up for. Yeah, I know. But I'll, I'll just kind of be like sitting there eating my corpse as I'm having sex with it, I guess. Being like, I didn't take this role. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you can visit Hell House. It still stands. And it's, I guess, being cleansed because the last scene is them walking out, turning on the reverser with that lovely air raid siren sound it makes, which mm-hmm. is music to my ears. <laughs> Parting ways at the gates, I, I suppose. Yeah, where do you go from there? Home, man. Home. Where now, it's safe. You're not going to get ghost raped. Do you think that, like, cleanse, they cleanse the house? Do they get Florence's and the doctor's cut of the money? I don't know. I don't think they mention it at all. But in the book... Their benefactor has passed away, and their son isn't going to give them one red cent. Oh, rip off. <laughs> I know. And spoiler for the book. Sorry about anyone that was looking forward to reading it spoiler free. But if you've seen this film, you've if you listen to our show and you don't want spoilers on anything, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> spoiler alert. We're going to ruin it for you. We do. Yeah. That's what we do. We fucking spoil and ruin. Well, it's a hell of a way to cap off the year. This is our last show of 2015 and i am glad to see this year come to a close but why so we can start a new one we can start a new one fresh with our fresh faces on i'm actually surprised that we've made the entire 2015 by actually like producing content regularly yeah we've almost gone completely weekly now and who knows that might change it might not it might not it just kind of depends we're kind of loosey-goosey that way yeah but we'll definitely let you guys know if anything's going to change um, but I mean, 2016, more movies, more commentary tracks, more requests that you guys uh, have for us. We have some stuff lined up already uh, for movies that we are going to do that you guys have asked us to do. And so don't hesitate to keep on that. It goes to show when we're interested enough to keep bringing our stories mingled in with our opinions and reviews on these films. Mm-hmm. We're still interested in doing that and excited about doing it and even growing more excited to do it. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. And honestly, the the reason for the podcast was the reason for the website entirely was to to celebrate our fandom, but also it was originally since it was just me, it was to discover things that I didn't even know that would be awesome, like this movie. So one thing I want to do is say thank you and hello to lots of people because this is like our last episode of the year, mm-hmm. and that's what you do. And the show has grown exponentially over the year. And I'm super thrilled about that. Not only because we've gotten mostly weekly and who That knows? certainly helps. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it helps for us too. It keeps us on our toes and keeps us in the right headspace mm-hmm. as far as wanting to discuss these films. Not only like over a pint or something like we used to. Yeah. But there was a lot of there was a lot of drinking involved in us talking about movies. Yeah. Well, so that's how the genesis of this show began. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was once you saw... That I would go blah 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 after a pint mm-hmm. about horror movies specifically. Because there's not much else worth talking about in life. According to you. Especially not in public. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's better to talk about, like, ghost rape, necrophilia, as loud as possible in a packed area. Well, there was that one time just last week where we were talking about some pretty heinous shit on the street. And a woman literally stopped in her tracks in front of us and looked at you. She right. gave She gave you the dirtiest look. Awesome. <laughs> Lydia wins again. Or the time that me and Amy were discussing necrophilia and uh, necromantic specifically. Mm-hmm. And what is scarier, a freshly dead corpse or like a floater you picked out of a bog to have sex with in over breakfast out in public. <laughs> yeah. I love those looks. Keep giving them to me, people. <laughs> and keep giving us a listen. Thank you so much. A special thank you to Chris Carr, who mm-hmm. suggested that we review Burnt Offerings, yeah. which is another fun haunted house movie, a lot like what we reviewed tonight, Hell House, mm-hmm. or The Legend of Hell House. It's Hell House 
the novel, The Legend of Hell House, the film. And uh, hello and thank you to Jeff Campbell, who suggested The Innocence, another haunted house possession film, mm-hmm. ghosty stuff. Really enjoyed doing that. And there's more to come from Chris Carr's suggestions in the new year. And I want to say thank you to Ruth Knight. Oh. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Mom, for support and listening and of course, being on one of our awesome bonus episodes this summer mm-hmm. where they talked about crime scene photography. Yeah. Our other super awesome bonus episode with Amy Vosper. So thanks, Amy, for contributing to the Base Moi episode. Made me think that I should stop being being on the show when I heard Amy talk. I was like, she's smarter than me. <laughs> she's smarter than a lot of people. She's smarter than both of us. You could <laughs> duct tape both of us together and feed us like brain pills and raw fish for a week, and we still wouldn't be as smart as Amy. So I want to have her on another episode. Oh, up. man, that'd be nice to have all three of us on. Also, not to forget, uh, one of our first requests ever, Altica, thank you so much for recommending us to watch The Host. Yeah, that was super fun. And it sort of changed my mind a little a little bit about monster movies. I know. I never could have gotten her to do a monster movie beforehand, but I was like, it's for the people. And see how many haunted house and ghost stories we've done? Thank you, guys. A <laughs> uh, special hello and thank you to Bind Torture Cast, who is my favorite podcast in the entire universe. Super sweet dudes. Yeah, of course, listens in and shares our links. And we're sharing their links because it is an amazing podcast that I can listen to all they, day they long. They claim that we're the better show. I think that's ridiculous. But I was like, their shows have a lot more going on in them than us. Oh my god, yeah. Way more interesting to listen to. Yeah. From my point of view, anyway. (laughs) They are the better podcast. And this is Horror from the UK. I say hello to Michael Wilson, who does share our links as well. And I listen to that podcast religiously. And anyone that hears me go on about the books that I read that link into the films that we cover, if you're interested in horror literature and a good podcast, and they're very, very rare. Um... This is Horror is a good literature, horror literature podcast. The Faculty of Horror, of course, also out of Toronto. So yeah. it's nice. Keep it in the family here with our Canadian take on horror. They're a lot more brainy than we are. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You could duct tape us together and Amy, and we'd probably just match like one quarter of the brains going on at Faculty of Horror. So I do love listening to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Pace and Stuart Feedback Andrews, who've been doing this like four, five, six part sprawling, amazing episode uh, covering the Green Inferno. Yeah. Eli Roth and, and horror all the controversy stuff. around that. An amazing listen. If you can set aside six, seven, eight hours, who knows? It's, it's spiraling out of control and I love it. <laughs> I love listening to them. And a special thank you and hello for support, sharing links, listening in from Ottawa Horror and Zombie Info and the Mayfair Theater. Mm-hmm. Those are our, those are our like tight knit, ottawa horror people like all the, the the horror community here are fan pluses as i call them fans that like to contribute back to the the horror community those like zombie info ottawa horror the mayfair theater those are my those are my brothers and sisters man definitely definitely same here and brothers and sisters far flung a little more pennsylvania ish thing there's like some weird connection we have a sister uh, province, uh, so to speak, between Ontario and Pennsylvania for some fucked up reason. Cause yeah. Bind Torture Cast is out of there, of course. Pennsylvania. Yeah, all the cool people. All three of them make a podcast. If I lived in Pennsylvania, there's no way I'd ever be able to say it normally. I, mean, like, <laughs> I know, from right? West Pennsylvania. <laughs> and every time, every single With, time. With like the wiggly fingers yeah. and everything. <laughs> or you wouldn't even be able to say it normally. Uh, the Wicked Library is also out of Pennsylvania. 
And they most recently featured um, a remaster of one of the first stories I ever submitted to them, The Bad Shepherd. Mm. They are a very good fiction, horror fiction radio broadcast. If you like that old-timey sort of radio play stuff. They even did an old-timey radio play intro to the remaster, which is cool. So you can tune into the Wicked Library. And they've done a couple of my stories, a lot of other really cool uh, short horror stories that are read aloud there. And who knows? In 2016, there's probably going to be another Lydia Peaver episode because there's a short story that I have out that has been bought that should be published sometime in the next year. Eh, I got some bubbling stuff in 2016. Yeah, something in the cauldron, toiling, troubling, you know. Well, I'm excited. And we'll give you guys more information on that when more information is actually available. I get to watch people draw what I write. That's cool. That is cool. And the turnaround's a little quicker than a decade. It is a little quicker than a decade, yeah. 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 But you still could sit on info for like a year. You definitely could. And I definitely have, so. (laughs) Yeah, in 2016, we'll have Wes tell us all his fun projects. Maybe maybe we will. They're not horror-related, but you know what? If you like me, you will support my work. And we do like you. (laughs) So what do we have coming up next? Basket case, for sure. Vampire lovers. Mm -hmm. We also have um, a a fan-requested movie, uh, Sleepaway Camp. So we're going to do that. To kind of go a counterpart to way back in time when we did The Burning. Yeah, a lot of times when people are talking about uh, camp slashers, they'll talk about Friday the 13th, talk about The Burning... But they'll also talk about Sleepaway Camp, so we'll talk about Sleepaway Camp as well. But uh, yeah, Basket Case up next, then Vampire Lovers. <laughs> Although we are recording on Boxing Day. We are. Yeah, because we're hardcore like that. Oh, hell yeah. A lot of other people take weeks off. Some people take entire months off. Well, you live close, so that helps. Yeah, yeah. I still didn't make you cookies, though. That's okay. You're sweet enough. Thanks, <laughs> I think. And on that note, I'm Les Knight. I'm Tupacalidia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.